You're listening to the Ignite Sessions podcast, hosted by Virginia Tech Chi Alpha. Our hope for this podcast is to encourage listeners to pursue God's kingdom and His righteousness. We hope you're blessed by today's episode. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. All right. <laughs> Can we take a seat? Thank you guys so much for coming out tonight. It's good to see all of you here. Hey, tonight I want to I have the honor of of introducing to you our guest speaker. He has been just a huge blessing to our community and to you and you really actually don't know it because you've never met him. But he and his congregation up in Roanoke have been investing into this community financially for, for years. And he's just always been a huge fan of Chi Alpha. And so it has just been an awesome relationship that we've had. They, they, they fight for us. Many of you have probably been to uh, Valley at least the, the, the campground outside, we've done leaders retreats there. We've done men's and women's retreats there in the past. And, and they help us get to have that place for our retreats. And he fights for us, not only for the calendar, but helps us with the, with the financing of it. And so we're so grateful for him. But I also love this man's heart. I love his heart because he's a man that, that goes after God with intensity. And there's something about men like that that I just like to be around. You know what I'm saying? Men that, are, that want to pursue Jesus with everything. There's something about that. Can I get an amen? Anybody else? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Come on. And, and what I love about it, too, is that, that uh, we're, not, we're not afraid here in Chi Alpha of intensity. And, right? and some people are like, wait, I don't know. <laughs> so we're excited. He has a, a family of five, so him and his wife have three children there might be one or two of them that are your age, um, and so he has sacrificed his night away to come and share and speak into your life, again, because he really believes in this generation, that it's worth his time to invest, to seeing you raised up, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, amen? Can we give it up to Pastor Jason Cook? Come on, give it up, give it up. All right, listen, I want to first of all speak against the spirit of offense. Take the, take the fence down. Hey, where's Duffy? Where's Duffy? All right, Duffy, watch this. I need... I need 12 people that will give me 10 minutes to talk tonight. Who will give me 10 minutes? 10 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Duffy, that's 20. You owe me 20 bucks. He said I couldn't get 20, two hours out of you guys tonight. I just got it. 20 bucks payable to Chi Alpha, Virginia Tech. <laughs> Listen, let me give you a little bit of history about me so you know who you're talking to. I, I'm an alumni. My wife and I both are aluminuses of Virginia Tech. Uh, we both have our master's degrees from here, and I really can't. I'm a hokey. I'm praying, praying for all the Hokie Nation. Mm. Come on, I'm diehard, man. 
listen, my son, I have, a, I have a, my older son, he just graduated from VMI. He's, he's, he's going to Liberty. He's one year intensive nursing degree. He's a biology and chemistry major. He just got a job at the hospital at UVA. So for the first time in my life, sweating, feverish, I bought him a UVA shirt. First thing I ever bought UVA in my life. I asked God to forgive me, and he's, he told me to get back to me. He said, I'll get back to you, Jason. So I'm waiting on God to get back to me for the forgiveness. My daughter, I have a daughter who is a senior at Lee University. She is a Division II volleyball player. She has a 29-inch vertical leap. What, what? I'm married up, gentlemen. Marry up. All right. I also have a 12-year-old who thinks he's going to be the next president of the United States. So, so with all that said, that's the Cooks, uh, my beautiful wife, Susie, um, great supporter of everything I do. And, and I want, I'm honored to be here tonight. I'm honored to be here tonight. I, when, when Pastor Anthony asked me if I would, would come, I hesitated. I'm like, Can I relate to a room full of adults that are my kid's age? Because I offend my kids all the time. I don't know if you know that. Your parents offend you. I offend my kids. We, we, from, we come from two different cultures of thinking. Somebody stay with me. I didn't come here to hurt your feelings. I came here to pump you up. I, I want you to leave here tonight stronger in your faith than you've ever been. But to do that, I've got to do some laundry. When I was in college, when I was in college, Sinbad came, the comedian Sinbad came to our university and did a, he did a uh, comedy routine, and he said this. He said, when you're a college student, you have three piles of clothes. You have clean, you have dirty, and you have funky. He said, you can wear dirty again, but you can't wear funky. So tonight, I want to clean up all the funky in here tonight. I want to try to clean some dirty clothes, but I want us all leaving here clean. Are you guys with me? I, I, I have a horrible sense of humor. It's, it's based in sarcasm and satire. My wife tells me all the time, she says, when you tell a joke, tell us you're telling the joke. We don't know you're kidding. And I say, Susie, it's so stupid. Who would believe that? She goes, we did. So... So please stay with me tonight. I, I love the Lord with all of my heart. I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a PK. I grew up in a pastor's home, and I watched people tear my parents down. I saw my parents give, give, give. I saw people just being people. When I was 18 years old, no, I was 17. I was 17. I was at a youth camp in Roanoke, and the, the pastor who was preaching that night, he gave an altar call, and the words he spoke touched my heart, but I didn't go. I sat in the back. I was at back, and you know, every time the altar call came around, I had to go to the bathroom. It was crazy how that worked. The conviction fell on me, and I, I, I'd leave the room. I'd go to the bathroom. I wasn't going to the bathroom, ladies. I was just leaving the room. Going to the bathroom was, a, was for me to get out of the room without being embarrassed. 
When I was 17 years old, this man gave an altar call. And I said, no. He gave it a second time. And I said, no. And God was dealing with me. And I said, Lord, if he gives it one more time, I'll go. But if he doesn't, I'm going home. And that man gave it one more time. I wanted to go, but I didn't want to go. You ever been there between two places? I think the Bible calls it betwixt. I was betwixt. So when I got to the altar, I found myself crawling to the altar. I got about halfway down the aisle, and the Holy Spirit hit me. Now, I grew, I grew up watching crazy in church. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. Now, I'm not Assembly of God. We were a little bit more holier. We were Church of God. When I, listen, when I, when I went to youth camp, we couldn't wear shorts. We wore sweatpants, and the boys, we pulled them up to like right here. The girls wore these things back in the late 80s called, called gauchos. And they were, they were pant skirts that came to here. But they were shorts. And we called them on it. But I can remember crawling to the altar as the Holy Ghost fell on me. And I remember as a kid watching our church services and watching people act crazy. It didn't bother me because I grew up in it. If you grow up into something, you build up a tolerance to it. I'm used to this. It doesn't bother me. My parents had this crazy rule that anytime I would go on a date with a young lady, our first date, I had to bring her to church. I had a lot of one-night stands, but it's not the way you think. They came to church with me and said, you're crazy, and all these people are crazy. I'm not coming back over here with you. I went to church with this one girl. And I'm not lying. I believe I fell asleep twice during the service. Because I wasn't used to people worshiping and praising God sitting on their hands. I wasn't used to people worshiping in silence. It wasn't my culture. My culture was if you felt it, you deal with it. And I've always, I've always wondered why, why, would, why would people cry during church? Why would people raise their hands and why would they dance around and why would they do these things? And I realized as I got older that, that we all have emotions. We all have personalities. And when God moves on you, when the Holy Spirit moves on you, he doesn't change your personality. He enhances it. And when in, in your, inside of your personality, you begin to, you begin to exhort God. That's why if, if you're just, if you're like me, I'm, I'm a wet dish rag. When God starts moving in the room, you just, you see the tears coming. I'll just sit there just like, a... it doesn't mean God's not moving. He's moving on me. It's like, mm. well, my friend, he's over here running laps around the church. It's just, it's the same spirit. It's just different expressions of our personalities. I don't know how you express yourself. But here's what I want to tell you before I get started tonight. That if you will allow the Holy Spirit to take precedent in your life, you're going to see some changes. 
He won't change your personality, but he will give you boldness. And those things in your personality then will be magnified for his glory. So I heard a story about this guy. He had a crack that happened in his wall. Is that a crack? That is a crack. That's a seam. That's a crack. But he had a crack in his wall, and he hired a painter to come fix the crack. So the painter came, looked at the crack, chiseled it out a little bit, put some putty in there, and then painted it to match the rest of the wall, and it looked perfect. The man was really excited. It's worth his money. About a month goes by, and the crack returns. So he's mad at the painter. for He said, you didn't do your job. So you need to come back and finish your job. I'm not paying you because you didn't do the job right the first time. And the painter said, I did the job right the first time, but I'll, because of my name, I'll do it again. So he chisels it out again. He re-putties the wall. He paints it to match. And about three months later, the crack is back with about four cousins. So he's angry now because now the issue's worse So he says, I'm not wasting my time anymore calling this painter. He's not a good painter. So he calls another painter. And the second painter comes in and looks at it and goes, I ain't painting this. He says, you're a painter. He goes, I know I'm a painter, but my paint can't fix your problem. He said, there's a crack in my wall. Fix that. He goes, I can't fix that. He said, your problem is not with the crack in the wall. Your problem is with the foundations of this home. If I fix that crack and we don't deal with the foundation, the crack's going to return. And it'll keep coming back until you fix the foundation. So tonight I want to talk to you about fixing it. When, When I was growing up, I had to do some manual labor. My parents, for some crazy reasons, their their sense of humor, they thought it was smart for us to grow up with a trait. So they made us work manual labor. Hmm. Lord, help them. So I've, I've, listen, I've done a lot of things. And my mother was always like, Jason, learn to work with your hands. Use your mind, but don't be afraid to use your hands. So me and YouTube are really good friends. Anytime something at my house breaks, I YouTube the situation. They show me how to fix it. I save myself a lot of money, and I go to class. That's for somebody in here who needs to fix something. Physically, not spiritually. We're going, to fix it. We're going to fix it spiritually tonight. I know right now that across this entire room, we all have disagreements. We all have issues. We all have a sensibility. There's something sensitive in us that if somebody pokes that bear, you're going to see teeth. You're going to see claws. Some of it has to do with some hurt in our background. Some of it has to do with some shame. Some of it has to do with some bad choices we've made. And some of us are just confused, period. We don't know why we're mad. We're just angry. So tonight, I want to speak against the spirit of offense right now. I've been pastoring for well over 26 years. I know it doesn't look like it. I, they, they were checking my college ID coming in. I, See, guys, that's sarcasm. I'm not smiling, but that's a joke. Okay, stay with me. So, 
I've been following God for a long time. I, I've been leading people for a long time. My first, my first real job of my life, I was the head basketball coach at Radford Middle School. I got that job going door to door with a resume. I've been, I've been coaching. I've been coaching since that was 94. I've been coaching since 1994. I've been a head high school basketball coach. I've coached high school football. I've coached high school baseball. I've done a little bit of everything. But what God has called me to do is to pastor. What that means is I lead people. And I deal with people's good days, and I deal with people's bad days, and I hope for something in between. But I'm always getting their bad days or their good days. And I don't mind that. That's what I do. God's given me grace for that. I, I was telling them back at the house, I'm writing a book called The Shock Factor that you can't shock me anymore. I've heard people doing stuff. I'm like, there's no way he did that. He did that. There ain't no way she did that. Oh, she, she did it. So when people say, when people say, do you believe that so-and-so did it? I believe it. I don't, know if that, I don't know if she would have done it, but somebody's done that at some point. So with all that said, I need you to trust me tonight. I'm looking at a room of people that are the same age as my kids, my two oldest kids. I know how they think. And we disagree on a lot of things. But the one thing we don't disagree on is the Word of God. Because we're not entitled to our opinion with the Word of God. You can have your opinion about anything you want to have. But when your opinion is contrary to the Word of God, you've lost every ounce of argument you have when it comes to godly things. So as a pastor, I'm not here to talk to you about psychological things. I'm not here to talk to you about physical things. I'm here to talk to you about spiritual things. And what I need you to do tonight is open up your mind. This, I think this is a lecture hall, right? So teaching goes on here. I need you to open up your mind. If I say something tonight that you don't agree with, keep your mind open. If I say something tonight that you've never heard before, keep your mind open. You can shut it down after this meeting, but I'm going to back it up with Scripture. My hope, Brother Anthony, I hope I don't hurt you. I told you I don't want to hurt you tonight. But, but my wife says all the time, she said, you're an alpha male. Do not go around those other guys. She says, you are conflict-oriented. You like conflict. Do not go over there. Jason, please. So that, that is my disclaimer tonight. You know, I'm, I'm here and I'm wipe my feet. No, I'm kidding. Love the cowboy shirt, by the way. Go, Dak Prescott. I want to talk to you tonight. I want to talk to you tonight about one character in the Scriptures. I believe that the words in my Bible that are written in, that are written in red are very important because they're the words of Christ. These are the words of Christ that other men, through the, through the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit, felt it was, it, was, it, was, it was important enough to write down. And they wrote it down in Scripture. So I want to I I share with you tonight. Uh, Anthony told me, now if, if the person's in here, please forgive me. Don't leave. I told him I'd, this is the only way I see people coming in and out. So I'm going to stand right here. So if you do leave, you've got to walk right past me. See, that's that alpha male coming out. Don't do that. 
he, Pastor Anthony told me about a year ago, somebody came in here and talked about John the Baptist, and somebody got upset and offended. Well, here's the deal. It's okay. Listen, you can be offended whatever you want to be offended at, but I'm going to talk about John the Baptist tonight. So I want to start with this. What does Kermit the Frog, John the Baptist, and Winnie the Pooh have in common? Do what? Eating honey and bugs? No, that's an awesome guess. They don't have what? Do what? That's good. Somebody said it over here. That's it. They all have the same middle name. Listen, they have the same middle name. That means they have nothing else in common. Okay? So I want to talk about this guy tonight, John the Baptist. There's a story told about this guy who, um, y'all did give me two hours, by the way. So There's a story told about this guy who was running through this neighborhood, and he was telling everybody in the neighborhood he was John the Baptist. He said, you need to repent and be baptized. I'm John the Baptist. You need to repent and be baptized. I'm John the Baptist. And it was making the people in the neighborhood nervous. You need to repent and be baptized. I'm John the Baptist. And so they called the police. The police came out to see what was going on, and the police said, sir, what's going on? He goes, I'm John the Baptist, and you need to repent and be baptized. And the police felt that the guy was having some, some trouble. So they said, Let, let's just take him in, have him evaluated. So they take him into this special place, and they have him evaluated, and they put him in a holding cell with another, another guy that was having similar issues. And the guy gets in the room, he starts it up again. He goes, I'm John the Baptist, and you need to be baptized. I'm John the Baptist, and you need to be baptized. Jesus sent me to tell you you need to be baptized. And the other guy says, but I didn't tell you that. Oh, it's a rough crowd, man. That was funny. Listen, lighten up, lighten up. How many people in this room right now, would, if you honestly would consider yourself to be a believer in Jesus Christ? Let me see your hands. Keep them up because I'm trying to see who doesn't have them up because they don't raise them if you ask them to raise them. Look, this is a Pentecostal group. Hands up everywhere. Put them down. Tonight, all of us have this one thing in common. We believe in Jesus Christ. He is the, the number one stakeholder of my heart. It is very hard to offend me because I'm 51 years old. I know what is right. I know what is wrong. And if, even if you say something I don't agree with, I forgive you. It doesn't bother me. Once again, another conversation up in the Chi Alpha house tonight. The frontal lobe of everybody's brain controls reason, decision-making, do you know that the frontal lobe is not fully developed till its mid-20s? So a lot of the mistakes you make is because you just don't reason well. It's okay. It's, it's not you. It's your age. At my age, I don't make a lot of big mistakes. I make mistakes, but not big ones. But when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, mm, mm-mm. That's where all my regret comes from. It's because what seemed to be right 
at the moment, the next day didn't seem right because I wasn't using all of my brain because it wasn't developed. So tonight, I want you to look at this room tonight as me being the oldest guy in the room having the most developed brain. Not the smartest brain, but just a lot of cobwebs, a lot of gray matter that's kind of darker gray, okay? Here's a question. What is the best age to enjoy life? I'm going right, to give you the research. Let's go to the research, okay? From zero, to, some say from ages zero to 20, and this is why that's not true. It's because you have a lot of time, you have good health, but you have no money. Right. It's hard to do a lot of stuff with no money, right? Come on, guys. That's an amen corner over there. The second one says, well, age 20 to 65 is the best age to enjoy life. And that's not true because you have some money, but you don't have a lot of time because you're working all the time. You're taking care of kids and grandkids. You just don't have the time. Well, they said, well, 65 plus is the most enjoyable time. That's not true. You have money and you have time, but you got too many aches and pains and health problems to do anything. So really, there's really no great time. You just have to take, a, take control of the present. I want to read to you about some characters in Scripture and when God used them. So there's people in this room right now that think you're too young for God to use. There are some in this room that may think you're too old or you've missed your moment. You should have done it when you were 13. Look at this. Joseph, his life took off when he was 30 years old. Joseph did. Moses' life took off when God used him. He was 80 years old. I don't know if you guys know this, but when Moses had that moment in the burning bush. He had lived 40 years, and he killed an Egyptian man for beating up a Hebrew. In the fear of that moment, he runs into the wilderness, and he hides and watches his, his father-in-law Jethro's sheep for 40 more years. So he's a, he's a murderer on the loose, and at 80 years old, he's watching sheep, and a bush catches fire. And it's not uncommon in the, in, in the desert place for bushes to combust. But Moses watched, and this, bu this bush did not consume itself. It just kept burning and kept burning all day long. So Moses goes over to see what's going on, and when he does, God says, Moses. <laughs> he was 80 years old before he went into Egypt and talked to Pharaoh. Elizabeth the mother of John the Baptist was perhaps in her 60s when she gave birth to John. Think about that. The Apostle John, theologians believe he was in his mid to early teenage years when Jesus said, come. So let me say this to everybody here. Never use your age or your lack of ability or your lack of education as an excuse or a crutch. Because if God will anoint you to do it, you can do it. Now, let me get into this. I want to read to you 
Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. John the Baptist was a preaching machine. He was, the, dude was, the dude was crazy in a good way. He lived in the woods. Take that off the screen for me. They're reading ahead. Thank you. <laughs> See, I saw the eyes moving. See, at Virginia Tech, you don't have to sit in the front row to be smart. That's for everybody outside the front row. We're students. Education. Now listen. John the Baptist called out a king for sleeping with his brother's wife. He called him out openly on it. And so he had him arrested. King had John arrested. So John's sitting in prison and he's got a lot to think about. If you've ever been in prison, you've got a lot of time. And so John's sitting there thinking, they're getting ready to take my head and separate it from my body. I can't live like that, so this is the end. I need to know if Jesus is who I think he is. Because if I'm going to lose my life for him, i got to know. How many in this room right now, you just need to know? If you could tell me and show me that Jesus is who he says he is, I will go to bat for him. I will be the loudest cheerleader. I'll run around this campus and everybody will know who I am because I'm yelling out his name. That's where we need to be. So, so this, this text takes shape as John is sitting in prison, wondering and pondering, is Jesus who I think he is? Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, it says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in the, in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to, to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect, enough, or should we expect someone else? So, so John's sitting there. He's hearing these words. Now, I'm one of these weird people that when I read scripture, a cartoon kind of comes to play in my mind. I like characters. I like scenery. And it, I, I'm a visual learner. Any other visual learners here? All right. I'm a visual. If I can see it, it's like photographic memory. Now, I've not changed the film since 84, but it's photographic memory. I picture John sitting in a jail cell with the bars to the outside window and his disciples leaning on the outside window talking to him. Listen, man, this guy, Jesus, you should see the stuff he's doing. It's crazy. And John's on the other side saying, oh, tell me about it. What do you do? God, I need to know. I wish I could have saw that. Did you guys get a picture of that? No, we don't have cameras. Okay. And this conversation is going on and John's, John can hear the executioner sharpening the blade of the axe that's going to take his head. In verse 4, the disciples of John go to Jesus, and they begin to ask Jesus these questions. Your friend John needs to know. You know, Jesus probably could have got him out of prison, but he didn't. 
That's something to think about. John, it's your time. And Jesus, John, needs to know, are you the one? Verse 4, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Now watch this. I'm playing you what I see in my head. John's disciples hear from Jesus, and Jesus lists all the stuff that, that prophetically were being done by the Messiah. He's fulfilling prophecy in every one of those. And they're leaving saying, he's the one. Jesus is the one. And as they walk away, Jesus turns to this crowd that has gathered around, and Jesus starts talking to the crowd about John. Once again, my head goes, those disciples went, ooh, What's he going to say about our master? I'm going to find my place. Verse 6. No. Was that verse 6? No, verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare Your way before you. Truly, this is Jesus still speaking. Truly, I tell you, among those born of woman, there there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus is talking to the crowd about John. He said, what did you go out in the woods to see? Somebody that when, 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 when the popularity of some kind of conversation begins to blow, would he bend to that conversation? When, when, when people that disagree with him begin to speak in opposition against him, did you expect him to bend to that conversation? He said, no. That's not why you went out there. You went out there because he did not bend. Would you expect him to see some guy in nice clothes, some nice preacher man? He said, no, that's not who he was. And Jesus is laying out, this is what John the Baptist was. This is who he is. And then he says this. He said, out of everyone born of a woman, no one has been greater. And I scratched my head at that. But once again, it's it's written in red. Jesus makes it very clear. He says, John is at the pinnacle of birth. (laughs) He is the hall of fame of birth babies. All babies are birth babies, by the way. But then Jesus said this. He said, but but the least 
of them in heaven are greater than John. Hold on. Hold on, Jesus. You just said John was the best one ever born, but he's the least in heaven. What is heaven like? Whew. Whew. Let me, let me fast forward here. I preached a message like this, very similar. Very similar. Did I clean these things? Very similar to this at my church on Sunday. And I, I sat up till 3 o'clock last night praying and asking God what to tell you. God, what can I tell these young, these young men and women at Virginia Tech? He said, Jason, I've already given you a word for this weekend. You preached that word for this weekend. And I said, but I preached this yesterday. He said, preach it again to them. And so what I'm going to do is kind of give you a cliff note version of what I preached yesterday to my congregation. We're going through this thing in the month of October called Jesus Freaks. The month of October at Valley Church is Jesus Freak Month. We sell shirts. Everybody wears their Jesus Freak shirt to church. We're hashtagging Jesus Freak pictures everywhere. We're having a good time. I had, a, I had an 80-year-old man tell me, he goes, Pastor, I was going into Walmart. He talks just like that. Pastor, I was going into Walmart the other day wearing my Jesus Freak shirt, and this guy in a wheelchair stopped me and said, man, what are you doing making fun of my Jesus? You call my Jesus a freak? He said, no, man. He goes, he goes we're Jesus freaks. We're freaky for Jesus. That's an 80-year-old man saying we're freaky for Jesus. <laughs> And I said, Brother Nadei, you go right ahead with your bad self. <laughs> so what I want to show you tonight, the question is, I want you to check the, I want you to check the boxes tonight. When, when I was working with my hands, my mom told me to work with my hands, I worked as a caretaker in high school at a local youth camp. And, and my boss, my supervisor, when camp was over, he gave us a list of things you guys have to get this done before you can leave today. And there were little boxes he wrote down. He, he, had, he had a box, and then what was written out is clean the bathrooms. There's a box, secure the pool. There's a box, weeded all the grass around the canteen. And here's what we had to do. He said, when you finish the job, you take a writing utensil and you check that box. That means you have done what I'd ask you to do. You leave today when every box has been checked. <laughs> so I've learned how to check boxes. My wife gives me a list. Jason, check these boxes before you go out of here. Get that laundry folder. Clean my car. <laughs> Have dinner on the table, and I'm, I'm checking boxes. <laughs> so tonight, I have five boxes I want you to check before you can leave here. All five of these boxes have been checked by John the Baptist. And if Jesus says John was the greatest ever born, can we get in that conversation? Can we begin to move to look like Christ, but at the same time follow him like John the Baptist? So I want to challenge you in five areas. Area number one, John was filled, well, he was spirit-filled. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, we preached at Valley about a year ago. I did a thing on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
if, if you look at my congregation at Valley, we have some diehard Pentecostal people. They're crazy. I are one. We have people from a Baptist denomination, Methodist, Episcopalian. They're from everywhere. Nazarene. And so when I begin to talk about being filled with the Spirit, at that moment, half of my congregation looked at me like, what is he talking about? Now, they trusted me as their pastor. I didn't want to scare them. Uh, this, show of hands. Who's ever went to a, a church and was scared, a little freaked out, scared? Anybody? Let me see your hands. Good. Good. It's $2 for the membership fees. <laughs> to Kai Alpha. So, so watch this. As I begin to teach, and I use a lot of scripture, and I begin to teach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The question is, was, is it for today? Because some of my people said, Pastor, our pastors never talked about that as we were growing up. We, 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 we talked about grace and mercy, and, but we never talked about the Holy Ghost. But, Pastor, when we did, we called it the Holy Spirit. We didn't call it the ghost. Ghosts are freaky. <laughs> and I began to preach about what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And most of my congregation pastor, we've never heard teaching like this. You're scaring us. And I said, do you trust me? They said, yeah. I said, do you trust Scripture? They said, we do. I said, let's just read the Scripture together. Let's just read it together. And if, if, you, if you can say what we're reading is not applicable for our, our meetings, I'm good with that. But if we read it, and the Bible says it's applicable for our, for our meeting times, then should we want it? You know, the joke was, Jesus told his disciples, Terry in Jerusalem, the Comforter's coming. The Holy Ghost is coming. Don't leave Jerusalem until he comes. And if Jesus would have said, instead of Holy Ghost, if Jesus would have said his name is Jimmy, Jimmy's coming. And when Jimmy gets there, he's going to make everything known. When Jimmy gets there, he's going to give you power. We would have all been fine with Jimmy. Because we can relate to Jimmy. But when you say the Holy Ghost, we're like, well, hold up. There's been no ghost up in here. And it's, it, scares, it scares people. It scares them. But when I read the scripture, the disciples weren't scared. And, and I, had one, I had one person tell me, well, pastor, we were told. Our pastor told us that it was only the disciples that spoke in tongues. I was like, I was like, listen, I agree with your pastor that the disciples spoke in tongues. I agree, because I read it in the Bible. I said, but I also read where the Gentiles spoke in tongues. I also read where, where the disciples were amazed at the same spirit that fell on us, Jews, fell on the uncircumcised Gentiles. And so, as we begin to work through that, and I'm going to tell everybody in this room who's ever been freaked out, you got to work through that. you got to read. you got to study. And if you think for one minute that you don't know the Word and you're confused, it's because you don't know the Word. The moment you know the Word, confusion leaves. And somebody brings up some silly argument and says, that's not what that says. That's not what the Bible says. Where would you hear that? Well, somebody told me. 
That's a lie. Stand down. Let the word speak. When I was a kid, they told us as young men, you speak where the word speaks and you shut your mouth where it's quiet. So if somebody says, well, that's not scripture, I say, I'm not in it. You know, my name's Bennett. I ain't in it. So Luke chapter 1, verse 15 says this. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. All right. Anybody else asleep? Everybody awake? Everybody still with me? I still got my two hours. I ain't started the clock yet. I'm kidding. No, listen, listen. I want, I, want to edu- I want to educate you too. I want to educate you too. The Bible says John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. Not after he was born in utero. He was filled with the Spirit inside his mother's womb. The Bible says when Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the angel Gabriel came to speak to her to confirm what he was saying, he says, your cousin Elizabeth is now also pregnant. She's also in her sixth month. So Mary, to confirm the angel, and I don't know if you ever had a, a, a visit from an angel, but if you ever have that and you've got to confirm it, there's something wrong with that, but she had to confirm it. She goes to Elizabeth's house. And the Bible says, when Mary entered the house and said, Elizabeth, the Bible says, when when the voice of Mary hit Elizabeth's ears, the baby, the six-month baby, leaped in her belly. Now, this is not... That's second trimester, Pastor. The Bible says John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit when the voice of Mary hit his mother's ears. Think about that for a moment. That's the Holy Ghost. There's no way he could have made sense of it, but it filled him. The disciples in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came into the room and filled 120 So anybody that tells you it's just the 12 disciples, there was 120 people, men and women, in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible says all were filled. They didn't have to make sense of it. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul was telling us, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You ever go into a restaurant? How many coffee drinkers are in the house? All right. I'm going to pray for you guys. <laughs> have, you ever went to, have you ever went to a restaurant and got a cup of coffee, and you're sitting with friends, and time's going by, and you're drinking your coffee, and it's about half full, and it's cold? And you, have to, you ask the waitress or waiter, could you... Could you Top that off for me. What do they do? They take the hot pot of coffee and they pour it and mix it with the cold coffee that's in your mug. What happens to the mug? It gets hot. You start drinking hot coffee. Sometimes you need to refill yourself with the Holy Spirit. 
I don't know if you've ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit and then things happen, life happens. He's still there, but you're cold. And you're going to say, God, top this off. Just top me off. I, I need to go to revival meeting. I need to get a prayer meeting. I need to go somewhere because I'm, I'm growing cold. I, 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 want, I want to be hot again. Number two, John lived a separated life. He was filled with the Spirit. He lived a separated life. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, it says, John himself with clothes and camel hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. He was different. I want to speak to everybody in this room right now in a very serious moment. You live in a culture on this campus that is not friendly to Christianity. As you guys were worshiping, I sat up in the back. I, I told Pastor Anthony, I just, want to, I just want to watch. I want to see the maturity level of this group. I just want to see it. And while I'm up there, God spoke to me. and He, he gave me 2 Kings chapter 6. When, when Elijah, Elisha was in a house and a servant was with them, and, and he, he, was giving, he was giving through the Holy Spirit, he was giving battle plans to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel was ahead of his enemy by two or three steps. He was playing chess, and the other enemy was playing checkers. And he was, he was always ahead of them. And when the word came back that it was Elisha that was giving the game plan away, the king sent his army, and they surrounded the house where the prophet was, the entire army. And when, when the servant looked outside, and he saw what was going on, he saw the army and he looked back at his master, and his master wasn't worried at all. He said, don't you care? We're, we're going to die. Have you seen how many chariots and horses are out there? Have you seen that? We're so we don't have a chance. And the prophet said, there's more of us than of them. And the younger guy couldn't see it. And the prophet said, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see what I see. The Bible says the young man looked out and he saw angels, armies of angels around the armies of the king. I need to tell somebody in this house, God gave me a word for you to open your eyes. Don't you walk in fear on this campus. You are a child of the king. When you came to Christ, there was a royal blood transfusion in you. It is not your blood throwing through you. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. You are not defeated, you are not beaten, and you shall not retreat or recant. You stand firm, because the armies of the Lord camp about you. In two months, y'all need to double the size of the people in this room. There's too many empty seats in here. I know how hard this man works. The Bible says sheep beget sheep. A shepherd has never given birth to a sheep. Y'all still with me? He's here to equip you. He's here to encourage you and to teach you. But you are the sheep. Sheep beget sheep. Who are you bringing with you? Just something to think about. Most of you sit in a classroom this, this big with, full of people. I'm going to finish that in just a minute. 
There's an advertising billboard campaign years ago in, in Los Angeles and a New York fashion group called Caravari bought billboard advertising in L.A. And this is what it said on the billboard in L.A. It says, just because you live in L.A. doesn't mean you have to dress that way. Because they were pushing New York fashion. I want to tell everybody in this room here, just because you live in the world doesn't mean you have to act like the world. Just because you go to Virginia Tech doesn't mean you have to act like all the other crazy people. The Bible says, come out and be ye separate. Y'all still talk about that? I'm sure you do. That's probably why you have prayer meetings and you have salt stuff and you got to have two guys doing announcements. I know you guys are, you guys have made it. Number three, John took a stand. I need you to check that box tonight. You need to take a stand. Luke chapter 1 verse 17 tells us that John came in the same spirit as Elijah. If you remember the story of Elijah where he had to face King Ahab and the prophets of Baal. If you read that story, remember John came in the spirit of Elijah. When fire fell, I'm going to go through the whole thing, but when fire fell on the altar of God, Jehovah, the Bible says that the prophet pulled out a sword. You ever seen crazy walking? You ever seen somebody just crazy? They're not mad, but you know they're going to get you, and they're coming at you just like this? The Bible says the prophet pulled out a sword, and he went to hacking on the prophets of Baal. You read it yourself. The Bible says the Baal prophets took off running, and the man of God started killing them. He chased them down. And killed every false prophet. I'm not saying pull out a sword. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. He was a fighter. He stood for God. How many of you guys in here have ever had a stand that was awkward and uncomfortable for God? If, if you've ever been in a situation where you had to take a stand for God and it was awkward, I want you to stand up right now if you did that. I'm, I'm going to see who's done this. That's good. Sit back down. Sit back down. That's more than I thought. That's, that's impressive. Martin Luther King Jr. Was put in, he was put in jail in Birmingham. While he was sitting in the Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a letter. I want to read to you what he wrote in that letter. He's taken a stand. He's arrested. He's like John the Baptist. He's got time. So he starts writing. This is what he wrote. He says, whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in town became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians of being disturbers of the peace or outside agitators. He says, things are different now. So often, the contemporary church is weak, ineffective, and unworking. Martin Luther King says that the church has lost its fight, his grit. That's huge. I'm going to fast forward. 
First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. I'm giving the scriptures for all you people that complain you don't get enough scripture. I'm going to give you scripture tonight. Spirit of offense, don't do it. Paul said, on the contrary, we speak at those as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. When you make a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't have to be crazy. Just be clear. Don't be confusing. Be clear. And just know that you're not here for the audience of the people. You're here for an audience of one. Number four, another box we're going to check is John was submissive to the will of God or to God's will. You know that when John was preaching, they sent people to John to ask him, who are you? They didn't know who he was. They wanted to know who he was. Look at this in John chapter 1, verse 19. He says, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely. He says, I am not the Messiah. They ask him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you, a, are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Eli, Isaiah, the prophet. He says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, making straight the way of the Lord. I want you to picture this. This is what John did. John says, I've got to make straight the way of the Lord. He says, I've got to pave the runway for Christ to land the plane. I've got to give him a landing place. What was his message? Repent and be baptized. He came out of the woods in camel hair and a leather belt, eating weird food. His hair was all disheveled, and people came from everywhere to hear what he was saying. Even the religious folks said there's something about him. He speaks with power and authority. He's not a learned man, but he speaks with power. And people are coming from everywhere to hear him, and everybody's being baptized by him. We've got to know who he is. John said this in John chapter, I mean, John the Baptist said this in John chapter 3, verse 30. He says, he must increase, talking about Jesus. He says, but I must decrease. John's power he got to hear, and everybody's asking questions. And there comes a moment, and I hope you guys know this, that John and Jesus were cousins. I don't know if you knew that. Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. The Bible says when John was baptizing at the Jordan, he looks up one day, and here comes Jesus walking down the shore of the Jordan River. And John stops what he's doing, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It was at that moment John started telling his disciples, Follow him, not me. He says, I've got to decrease. I'm, I'm too here. I've got to get here because he has to rise. I've already paved this runway. I've got to get out of the runway. He's here. Number five, my last one. John was a soul winner. Can you check the box of being a soul winner? The first person I ever, I ever told the gospel to and prayed, helped pray the sinner's prayer, I did it in, with a bad attitude. I want to tell you, God can work on you through a bad attitude. I was coaching football at K-Spring High School in Roanoke. I was the head JV football coach, and uh, 
our cheerleaders, bus has some issues. So the athletic director called me and said, Jason, the cheerleaders are going to ride your bus. I said, no, they're not. He said, oh, yes, they are. I said, no, we're going to Lynchburg to EC Glass tonight. This is the district title night. They're good, and we're going to whoop them tonight. I said, every, every bus I've ever been on with cheerleaders, they sing the whole time. They just sing from beginning to end. All Disney tunes, they just sing them. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I said, these boys have to be focused. And I was a little outnumbered there, so the cheerleaders rode our bus. The cheerleading coaches got on the bus. I said, I said girls, here's how this is going to go down. Once again, I'm an alpha male. I said, here's how this is going down. I'm going to put all those boys in the back of the bus. I'm going to load them first. My coaching staff and your coaching staff will sit in the middle of the bus, and then your girls will sit on the front of the bus. Nobody's mixing. I, I said, nobody's, nobody's talking. I want a quiet bus. I told her, I said, I want a quiet bus. And she said, are you serious, Jason? I said, I'm serious. And so here we are sitting. It's me and my coaching staff and the, 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 the cheerleading coaches. And here sits a male cheerleader in front of me. And I, I'm, I'm angry. I got issues. And he digs into his book bag and he pulls out a Bible. And my sarcastic little self can't help it. I, I leaned up. I said, boy, you better be careful. That thing will cut you. He said, what? I said, that's a sword, brother. I'd be careful how you pull that out of the sleeve like that. <laughs> and no lie, he, he, he says, what are you talking about? I said, that Bible. You, you, listen, you assume if a guy pulls out a Bible or a girl pulls out a Bible, they've read that thing. He's on a school bus with a Bible. He says, I just bought this Bible. I, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ last Thursday at a Young Life meeting. He said, I, I, somebody told me to start reading the Bible, so I brought, he had this big old thick Bible too. I said, that's a preacher Bible, man. What are you doing? <laughs> and so I leaned up and I, I, let me rephrase that. He didn't give his heart to Jesus Christ. He said he heard the gospel. He said, but before he committed, he wanted to read. And so here I am, sitting beside me is Brandon Sermonis. He played football here at Virginia Tech. He was the MVP of the Sugar Bowl, by the way. So Brandon and I are both, we're both heavy Christians. And I said, I said, you're not saved? He said, no. I looked at Brandon, Brandon goes, I got this. I said, no, you don't. I said, no, you know, this, this, is, this is mine. <laughs> the cheerleading coach, her husband was a youth pastor. So she's a believer. And so this young boy sitting on the bus with a football team behind him, cheerleaders in front of him, surrounded by coaches, and the coaches are all believers. So I lean up, and I just begin to share the gospel with this young man. And I told you, as, as sarcastic as I am, when God moves on me, when the Holy Spirit moves on me, I turn into a wet dish rag. I'm praying the sinner's prayer with him. I, I'm holding his hand. I'm holding Brandon Simonis's hand. The cheerleading coach is there. He's there. And we're praying the sinner's prayer on a public school bus heading to Lynchburg, Virginia, to a football game. You got to be ready in season and out. God had my number that day. God knew that boy had that Bible, didn't know what he was doing, and had me behind him. 
I had never done that before in my life. I was about 24 years old. And I'm, I finished praying, and there's a tear coming out of my face. I can't get it fast enough. You know, g- girls would do this. Guys, we, we, we don't want to make a big deal about it. But one of those, one of those cheerleaders were in my class, and she turned around and goes, Mr. Cook, why are you crying? And yells on the bus. You know, I said, I said, sit down. So talking on this bus. Hey, all your coaches and teachers aren't angry. A lot of it's a show. But watch this. John chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. It said, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The man came for, the man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe he was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness to the light. John came for one reason, to bear witness of Jesus Christ. But I want you to watch what Jesus calls John. In John chapter 5, verse 35, Jesus said John was a a burning and shining light. Huh. Interesting. You know that you can be like Jesus, you can look like Jesus, but you're not Jesus? If we do what we're supposed to do, we're reflectors. I, I've, I've turned on my, my street where I live, and kids are riding their bikes, and those bikes don't have lights. But when my headlights hit their reflectors, it looks like they have lights because they're reflecting the light. If we do what we're supposed to, we are reflectors of the light. John was such a reflector, Jesus said, he shines. Mm. He looks like me. He smells like me. He talks like me. He walks like me. Oh, I wish he could say that about some of us. General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said this about his students. He says, if I had the choice, I would not send you to school. I'd send you to hell for five minutes, and you'd come back a real soul winner. Think about that for a moment. Coach, Pastor, how do you close this? I'm I'm going to close it. Do you bring people up? The band plays? Who's a keyboard player? Bring her up. She did a great job. She's going the wrong way. I'd do it, but I got to hold the mic in my right hand. I'm right handed. He said, if I had my choice, I would not send you to school to be soul winners. He said, I would rip hell open for five minutes and let you take a look. At hell. He said, if you could see hell for five minutes, he said, you don't need anybody to teach you anything. He said, the passion you would have in you to keep people from going there, that's all you would need. Imagine if, if you could see hell. The Bible talks about hell. It talks about the sounds. It talks about the smell. The Bible says it's a place where the worm doesn't die. Torment. I don't know if you guys know this, but hell wasn't made for people. It wasn't. It was made for the fallen angels. People say, well, why would God choose to send someone to hell? He doesn't choose. We choose. 
Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Jesus said, either you're with me. He didn't say, or you're not with me. He said, either you're with me or you're against me. He said, you can't play the middle. He said, he said those of you that are lukewarm, you're not, not hot or cold. He said, you make me want to vomit. He said, I don't like you straddling the fence. Either get in or get out. Get in or get out. There's a lot of people wearing the jerseys that say Jesus, but they're not going to practice. They're not, they're not doing the extra work. They're not doing the workouts. They're not, they're not maintaining the diet as one of his players, but they want to come to the ball game. Jesus, I want playing time. Well, you ain't come to practice. You don't even know the plays. I want to encourage everyone in this house to have a mentor, have a coach. I'm 51 years old. My whole life has been around Jesus and athletics. I had the great gift that my hands can kind of do whatever I want them to. If you throw something at me, I'm probably got a high percentage chance I'm going to catch it. I could throw it back to you right-handed or left-handed. I can kick with both feet. I can run, probably not as fast as I used to. But that was a gift to me, and I used it for God's glory. But he's also called me to lead in the church as a pastor. That's scary. I look out at my congregation, you know, that I'm responsible for them, that I've got to give an account for them. My God, that church keeps growing. I keep thinking, oh, my God, I can't account for all these people. God says, your grace, my grace I've put on you, Jason, your grace is going to be fine. You do what you do. And so I went out, well, let me say this. The most influential people in my life, in my entire life, were my coaches. They were rough, they were honest, and they loved me. Because I was that guy that said, coach, show me how to do it one more time. Give me one more shot at this. Give me one more chance. Hit me another ball, coach. Throw me another ball. Let me run that route one more time, coach. Show me how to do that again. I got it. Let me show me one more time. I got it. I left one football game. Coaches were mad at me. I, I chucked my helmet. One of the assistant coaches says, what are you doing, man? I said, I can't, I can't please that man. I'm working my tail off him. I can't please him. I said, he's always yelling at me. And this man says, he goes, who else is he yelling at like that? I said, nobody. He said, there's a reason why he's on you, Jason. He sees potential. He said, he's not barking these other guys because there's no potential. But you have potential. And it changed the way I looked at my coaches. Every time they barked at me, I said, Coach, give me one more. I think you believe I can do this, and I want to do it. You want me to run through that wall? Okay, I'll do it. Now I'm a pastor, and everything I've ever done as a pastor, I'd go to seminars, I'd do things, and kind of self-taught. So about three years ago, I said, I need a mentor. And I found one. And I told this man, I said, I want you to talk to me like I'm your son. He goes, you don't want that. I said, yes, I do. I'm an adult man, but I want you to talk to me like you're my daddy. If I've done something wrong, tell me I did it wrong. 
Don't take that the wrong way, guys. If I, you know, because here's where things are mistaken. We call fathers fathers, but little kids call dad daddy. When I call and I say daddy, I mean, I'm like a child. And whatever you tell me to do, I will do it. How many times you tell me to do it, I will do it that many times. If you tell me to stop doing something, you tell me, I will stop. You want me to rearrange the furniture in this room, I'll rearrange the furniture. Whatever you tell me to do, you, you just tell me. Don't beat around the bush. I don't have time to waste. I'm 51 years old. I don't have time to play games. And he, he was in my office last week, and I brought one of my staff members in because there was something we had to do, and we didn't do it. And he got mad at my staff member. I'm like, you're not his daddy. <laughs> I thought my staff member was going to walk out of the office. I'm like, don't, don't, Mike, don't, don't leave. He said, he said, Mike, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the guy that I told to talk to you because he represents me. And then, he, then he told both of, both of us this. And this is, this, is, this is my close here. He said, let me, t-, this guy's like 68 years old. He said, let me tell you why I'm so passionate, Jason. He said, I was at a church service one time and the pastor talked about the rapture. When Jesus is going to come back and take his waiting bride away that is ready, whose garments are pure and white. He said, we were, he said, as he was preaching, I saw myself standing in a vision, standing in heaven where Jesus had already separated the sheep and the goats, which means those that were going to hell, they're gone. He said, there was a long line. He goes, I was standing in the line and we were going into the gates of heaven. He said, I was next in line behind this old man. He said, and God looked at the old man and said, what have you done for me? And the old man said, he said, I planted churches for you. I raised up pastors and taught them and I mentored them and I put them in those churches. And then I would go and I would plant more churches. I raised up evangelists and I I sent them into the fields to do work for you. God said, what else have you done for me? And the man said, I wrote letters to those churches. When I couldn't get to see them, I wrote them letters. Those letters have been read by millions and billions of people. People have come to know you because of the letters I have written. God said, what else have you done for me? And he said, he pulled his shirt back like this. And there was a scar that went all the way around his neck. He said, I gave my life for you. When they told me to be quiet, I said no. When they told me to stop preaching, I said no. And Jesus looked at him and said, well done, Paul. Thy good and faithful servant. Enter in for great is your reward. And my mentor said, he said, Jason, I was the next one in line. He said, how in the world do you follow Paul? He said, what do I tell him? I pastored a church in Tennessee that had 4,000 people. He said, do you know that not everybody's going to hear well done, good and faithful? They're going to hear just enter in. He started crying. He said, I want to hear well done. 
good and faithful servant. I don't know where you're at today, but there's a crack in the wall right here at Virginia Tech. The crack isn't the issue. It's the foundation. There are thousands upon thousands of students walking this campus that won't have an opportunity to stand there where Paul and my mentor are going to stand because they're going to be part of the goats that will be separated. And when you stand before God on judgment day, he's he's going to ask you, what have you done for me? Because the Bible says our deeds will follow us. What have you done? The question is, what is your answer? Well, I went to the Chi Alpha meetings when they were having on Monday nights. But what have you done? Well, sometimes I would bring my Bible. But what have you done? I'm passionate because I know the word says there will be a day of accountability. And our deeds will follow us. I am a missionary. My first mission field was my family. It was my wife. She didn't grow up like me. But she's saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and she's a pastor's wife today. I have three beautiful children. That was my next mission field. My son was the chaplain on his baseball team at VMI. My daughter is a team captain of her volleyball team, and she leads him in, in, in devotions every week. My younger son, who's 12, he brings his entire baseball team to church every Wednesday night. That's my first mission field. My second mission field is my staff. My staff is a direct reflection of me. I, in, I don't spend time with them. I invest time with them. There's accountability with my staff. My next mission field is my church. My next mission field is wherever God opens the door. And here I am. So I want to ask you a very serious question tonight. Will you help fix the foundation? To fix the foundation, you got to check some boxes. Pastor Anthony, come up here. Where's the young lady had the beautiful voice that was singing? Come here. Come up here. I'm going to put you on the spot because I think I can. I want you to pick a song. Any song you want to pick, but it's got to be appropriate for this moment. Is that too much pressure? I trust you. You guys work it out. Stand up with me. There is no more serious time than this time right now. This is what we call at Valley Church a call to action. You've heard the word. You've been challenged by the word. Will you meet that challenge? There are people in this room that I know went on the retreat. You're on fire. You guys talked about a lot of things. 
There are people in this room that you were, you were brought up the right way. Your parents are so proud of you that you're at Virginia Tech and you're at a Christian organization. I, I'm one of those parents. I, I know your parents are proud of you. There are others in this room that, that you're here because you're, you're, you're looking at it from the distance. You, you're, you're, you're curious. And there are some that are here that you really have no clue why you're here. You're just here. You're here because somebody asked you to come with them. You're here because there's nothing else to do. The food court was closed. I don't know. But here's the deal. We're all here right now. This is the moment. You may not get another moment. If you leave here tonight without making things right with God and getting things right with your spirit and your soul, you're not held accountable once you leave here if somebody hits you that's been drinking they kill you, if something falls on you, if, if you have a heart attack. Those are things you don't know. We can't control tomorrow, but we control right now. And I want to ask you in this moment, will you commit your life to Jesus Christ? I'm going to, we're getting ready to sing. Do you have a prayer team? Can you bring them down here? The prayer team, is there a prayer team? I want you guys to come down, I want you to face everybody else. Stand, stand up here, right to this edge, right here. Get as close as you can. We're going to need room. When I was a kid, every time we went to church, I remember the preacher always saying, don't leave like you came. In Jesus' name. Don't leave like you came. I want to count to three. When I get to three, If God is speaking to you, the Bible says this. The Bible says the Spirit of God draws all men to Him. If you're feeling anything, it's not me. It's the Spirit of God drawing you. When I count to three, if you want to, get, if you want to be serious about God, I want you to come. Maybe you don't know Him. Maybe you're curious. You want to know more. Maybe you're on fire for Him. I just want a double portion. I want boldness to be a witness for Christ on this campus. What you don't realize right here, when I, was at, when I did my undergraduate work, I didn't do anything like this. Nothing. And I think to myself, where would I be now if I would have had this? I didn't have this. And I, I'm, I'm looking at you, where are you going to be when you're this age? What are you doing for the kingdom? It starts now. One, two. Three, will you come? Thank you for tuning in to the Ignite Sessions podcast. To learn more about Virginia Tech Chi Alpha, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it using the hashtag TheIgniteSessions. We'll see you next time.